Hey everyone, Will Daniel here. Thanks for tuning back in to Gentlemen Prefer Bonds. We're back for another episode, and with more than one microphone this time. We did, however, have a window open for part of this recording, which did lead to a little bit of background noise I wasn't able to completely eliminate in editing. So my apologies for that, and I assure you we are going to keep working to get you the most pristine audio quality we can. If you listened to us last week, you know that we feature a cocktail to pair with each film. And since From Russia With Love takes place not in Russia, but mostly in Istanbul, I found a drink called an Istanbul, which we really enjoyed. This drink has a Turkish brandy called Rocky that is made from raisins and anise, which James Bond and his friend Karen Bay drink a lot of in the novel. And you do taste the anise, so if a little bit of that licorice flavor goes a long way for you, you might want to just stick to a vodka martini if you plan to drink with us this week. But if you're feeling adventurous, here's how you make an Istanbul. Cut a mandarin or a tangerine in half, and then cut that half into a few pieces. Put those pieces in a shaker with an ounce of simple syrup and muddle them a little bit. Then add an ounce of lemon juice, two ounces of vodka, and one ounce of rocky. Add some ice and shake it, and you don't have to strain it. You can just dump the whole thing into a rocks glass and enjoy. It's a nice, refreshing drink we think pairs nicely with From Russia With Love. And lastly, we are now on Facebook at Gentlemen Prefer Bonds and Instagram at Gentlemen Prefer Bonds. Official. So check us out there, like and subscribe and everything uh, if you enjoy what you hear on this podcast today. Uh, we'd uh, really appreciate that. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And now here's our conversation on From Russia with Love. Welcome to Gentlemen Prefer Bonds. I'm Will Daniel. And I'm Will Schlick. And I'm Max Wilcox. This week, we've got From Russia With Love, the second James Bond movie, based on the fifth Ian Fleming novel. Uh, Before we get going, I just want to remind you both that this episode is sponsored by Spectre. I know there's a lot of, you know, everyone has feelings about some of their past, but uh, it's a different Spectre nowadays, so let's just be respectful. Yeah, it's it's run by the bad guy uh, from Green Hornet, who has values. I mean, they have a very clear numbering system, which I'm all for, firstly. Yeah. Um, I, so I, I'm, I'm all for a corporate structure that really, really knows how to adequately sort of, like, tell you where their upper echelon is. Yeah, how deep does the numbering system go? Do you think there's anyone that's, like, number, like, 45? I think I would feel pretty poor there's a hundred percent the fact that in this meeting there's a man there's a woman named number three and a man named number five and a blofeld named number one means that there's like a a security guard on specter island that is numbered like 4038 yeah yeah there's no there is no possible way that there isn't everyone is a is a number um how does one achieve the rank of number is that like a jedi thing do you have to you have to pass a certain set of you know, test to get a number? I hope that there's a bureaucratic system for submitting for the number. I, I hope that there is an intense amount of paperwork for the securement and and uh, perusal of the number system yeah. that you then choose an, an available number. Or, like the NFL, you have to buy the number from someone who has it currently. Well, I think we maybe saw how that worked uh, in the film Spectre, where uh, Batista just walks up and uh, gouges that guy's eyes out, and then they're like, you have his job now. Yeah, that's... the. Uh, I get my pro- the... promotions by eye gouging, mostly. That is the Spectre version of purchasing a number, I would think. 
this this is the novel that um, in 1961 uh, Life magazine uh, published a list of JFK's favorite books. Uh, From Russia with Love is on it. Um, that gave the Fleming novels a big boost in the early 60s to kind of pave the way uh, for the movie. Um, Dr. No, as we said last time, uh, big hit kind of paved the way to, uh, they, they doubled the budget of $1 million to uh, $2 million for From Russia With Love. Also went over budget, had a lot of uh, problems with production. And in between Eon made that movie, Call Me uh, Buana with uh, Bob Hope, that we see the guy, um, Kel... Kilimov or something? Um, oh no, Krylenko climbs through the poster of the only other movie that Eon made in like 50 years. Yeah, but with Bob Hope too. Yeah. Though. But like, that was, man, talk about a, a, money gra- a money grab there. Well, and they actually know, passed but... on Hard Day's Night. They, they were offered that and, you know, Beatles hadn't come to, to America yet. Uh, they weren't really taking them seriously. They were like, Beatles, we've got Bob Hope. We're good. Yeah, if I if I recall, I believe that the Beatles were actually pretty massive James Bond fans. I think there's a couple of interviews where they talk about their love of, I mean, that, Goldfinger. That makes sense given they, what Help is also. Yeah, I mean, Help is of, a James, James Bond, Bond movie. movie. Yeah. I want to hear more about what those four beautiful British boys thought about Bob Hope. Enough of <laughs> enough of their obsession with Bond. Enough of like did ooh their haircuts. I need the 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 tizzy on what John Lennon thought about Bob Hope. Yeah, they yeah. probably felt the same way we all do. Incredibly yeah. sexy man. Just really cool. Yeah, yeah a lot of... Hi, welcome, welcome to Gentlemen Prefer Bob Hope, a Bob <laughs> Hope cast. A lot of people like, call the movie Help their uh, Call Me Buona film. The I, I often call it From Russia With Love that one movie that didn't have enough Bob Hope in it. Yeah. It would have, yeah. It would have been cool if Krylenko actually was just played by Bob Hope, and instead of being a, a Bulgarian, he was just kind of a wisecracking American comedian. Yeah, it could be. Into he that. was clearly he was clearly played by a cartoon, and I'm not going to accept anything else. That the that, well, I'm sure we'll talk about the couple of scenes that this this bad guy who gets <laughs> just such a lot of heavy mention for yeah. then being essentially less than a henchman. Um, yeah, I don't, does he have he, a line in the movie? No, he has he has many menacing glares. He, he does, and he mouths stuff silently to guys. I think during the gypsy camp fight, I think you see him doing a lot of non, not heard mouthing. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that's because you know they wanted to not pay him, yeah, uh, really any money. Uh, so this, so so jumping straight in, yeah. Um, this movie has. Uh, such an excellent opening scene. Oh yeah, um, especially for what would have what eventually become the sort of like the James Bond classic of the scene of the sort of pre-title scene. Um, having essentially what is this dark nighttime shot uh, of of a menacing Hitler youth gone awry um, hunt down what you think is James Bond, and then you figure out that it's on this fun specter island where where this you know i guess is a what is it an away camp do you think they're only there during the daytime and they they go back to their marriott at night i think i don't hey, know it's, a, it's what, a sleepaway camp for sure i would hope i'd hope they have bunks <laughs> um but what i do know is that they've apparently been training uh <laughs> serial killers to eventually kill james bond yeah so i i just uh reread the book and uh Bond is not introduced until about 
40% of the way through the book, we get about 100 pages of introducing various Russian characters, uh, including Red Grant, and just the, the opening's just all about Red Grant and what a psycho he is who like has to go off and, and kill people uh, whenever the, the moon is full. And of course, you know, that makes him the, the perfect uh, agent of, of Smirsh in the book and, and Spectre uh, in the movie, just a guy who, who loves to kill. Uh, Ian Fleming, uh, very threatened by people with uh, different sexualities uh, than him. He, he's very clear in the book that Grant is asexual and Rosa Klebb is uh, sexually neutral, just likes to fuck. Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, I, I will read you that that passage. <laughs> two two things that did not come across in the film. <laughs> yeah, Rosa Rosa Klebb fucked in the film. I think we can well, all agree with that. Well, that's a question I had. Is is when Rosa Klebb? I think watching it now, you, you get that Rosa Klebb is is hitting on on Tanya, kind of harassing her. What gave think... it away? Putting her hand on her leg for a prolonged <laughs> period of time? or Well, do you think people got that in 1963 for the, the majority of audiences then? Oh, no. God, no. Yeah, I think it had to be so... I mean, I think with that kind of thing, they had to trick the censors before, like, the late 60s, basically. Yeah. And just, oh, there's, there's nothing gay here. Um, in the book, yeah. Very, very clear, like, Tanya runs out of her office screaming after, like, <laughs> Rosa Klebb's clearly trying to get it on with her. Yeah, I, I will say the title sequence for me is a really classic part of the movie. I like that it's, I think it's, you know, I love that it's a title sequence that features Sean Connery, but not James Bond. James Bond technically mm. does not appear in the title sequence, and a yeah. lot of people, I think recently, um, No Time to Die made news about the pre-title sequence being really really different a lot of people were speculating it's because bond's not in it and it's i don't think that's what it is specifically because bond bond the character has not appeared in several title sequences he doesn't appear in this mm-hmm. um, but i don't think we've done that since like man with the golden gun yeah so man that, with the golden gun be, live and let die that would be a big change for for recent movies yeah but it has happened i mean they, they've done it they, yeah. technically they do it in this movie the character is not in there not only that, but in this, they, they then, the next scene after the title credits, uh, they go straight into the chess scene. Yeah. Um, where we have, um, what's his favorite? Kron- Kronstein. Um, otherwise known as just the worst. Just, they couldn't have, they couldn't have chosen the worst. They, they, they you have this guy and they have this beautiful, this, this chess scene that, that, like, you know, is supposed to set up how cool and great he is all it really sets up is how easy it is to cheat at chess games in ni- the 1960s apparently as he's delivered a note with a glass of water yeah and like his opponent his opponent isn't just like can i also have a glass of water <laughs> like yeah the, but he he gets a note from specter to head back and then he he proceeds to say that his plan is essentially just to not have a plan the <laughs> he, he uh the his whole plan to to trick the uh the so so just to, to to say the entire point of the film is supposed to be about getting the um the whatchamacallit the crypt the, yeah, the, the lector machine the lector decoding the, yeah. device yeah the lector decoding device and and specter's entire plan that somehow blofeld is upset that it failed was 
to just tell the British that uh, that the where the Russians have it. Uh, and just sort of like hope that Bond gets it. Talk about an all-time I, great MacGuffin. I, yeah, for, I, I really like the plot, and yeah. and this is an area I think that the um, the movie improves a little on the book in that it, in the book the the only plan like they don't even care about the the lector or in the book this is confusing in the book it's the Spectre S P E K T O R Obviously, they had to change that. <laughs> the Spectres. Give me the Spectre, Spectre, Bond. Yeah, um, as Blofeld is like, I don't know what it does. I'm glad they got really... As Blofeld's like, I don't... They got... I don't know what it does, but I know that it's incredibly on brand. <laughs> um, so, yeah, in, in the book, the, the decoding advice, uh, device, uh, Smirsch doesn't even um, care about that. The goal is just to kill James Bond and kind of show up the the Secret Service, hu- humiliate um, England, basically. And there's this whole big scene at the beginning where it's these Russian generals who are sitting around, like, and it's it's basically a more sophisticated uh, version of the opening scene from The Naked Gun, where it's just the terrorists being like, we gotta do something evil, because that's what we do. I like it better in the movie, because it's... Uh, Spectre is just playing Bond and and knowing he's the best uh, and and kind of playing the sides Bond and and the Russians and everyone against each other and that's and then you get Red Grant in Istanbul who's just kind of killing off Russians I think both a little bit to pave the way for James Bond to do his thing and just because he likes to murder and that's (laughs) on brand for them too (laughs) I'm going to continue, as we go through this, I'm going to continue to make the argument that Donald Red Grant is a better spy than James Bond. This is my treatise. Um, And until he gets to the end and he makes the fatal, fatal flaw of monologuing, he is arguably an infinitely better spy than Mr. Bond. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, Um, he's, I think he's one of Bond's. But we can can get through it sort of like as we go through. Yeah, Uh, opening scene, I think uh, off the bat we get... um, just a great John Barry score. I mentioned last time, I don't really care for most of Monty Norman's uh, music for Dr. No. Uh, I think John Barry just starts off so strong uh, right away with, with the music while Grant is stalking the you know Bond lookalike uh, and then the, the opening title sequence. I kind of feel bad for, for some of those uh, people in the credits there. I feel like you'd see your name and then like the belly dancer like moves her hand or like <laughs> armor or whatever. And you're like, hey, that's, no, show my name. Can I just say one more thing about the, the title sequence or the pre-title sequence? Mm-hmm. There is a shot in there where Red Grant could easily be confused for Michael Myers. <laughs> the first like yeah. opening shot of him where he's walking, it's just like the light looks weird, and he's walking with the most robotic, psychotic walk I've ever seen in my life. It's almost hilariously like a slasher movie. Yeah, and I like how he's just so... Um, the guy that we find out later is not James Bond is like clearly very anxious, and Red Grant is just very cool and like seems to be enjoying himself in this... like gladiator training thing whatever they're doing hey hey it's summer camp yeah. baby <laughs> you didn't come to play at specter summer camp no 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 and then uh he Marenzi, the the guy walter uh gotel i think who then plays the the like head of the kgb later in the movies classic yeah. bond series just recasting the same people yeah. 
he says, I think, one minute, 52 seconds. That's excellent. That's that's what you get. Yeah. They really evil him up <laughs> in this, though. He looks even yeah. more evil than he does his... What's, what's also great about that is that it's not. It's never really said as to, like, what that minute 53 is to or from. Yeah. Like, like he just, like, from ah, the, good. From the gun barrel sequence. <laughs> They're, they're, they're essentially, like, it has no real concept of what they've been timing. Like, are they saying that, like, James Bond always goes <laughs> pee and then goes for a quick walk before bed, but he's always back inside within two minutes, so you have that mu- Ah, minute 53. Very good. I think they just rang a, a bell or something to, to start it. I think we, sh- we should have gotten, like, a Rocky kind of montage for the opening where Red Grant is just killing people, and we see the times where they're recording, like, five minutes, four and a half minutes, and it goes down to that and he's like under two yeah and it's just all bombs (laughs) it's just all sean connery's is with the sort of the sort of mission impossible face mask yeah uh, scenario that they pull there um but uh but then we actually finally get into i was about to say we finally get to russia we never get to russia (laughs) yeah we not not even really not very close we get we get we we get to istanbul um as uh we have uh, we have we have Tatiana, who's who's a main part of the plan, and um, g- just hell of a Bond girl. Uh-huh. Um, she's she's an unwitting assistant. She's a she's a, a, a proud, beautiful uh, daughter of Mother Russia, and until she meets James Bond, apparently, um, and she's been tasked by Spectre to sort of take the. Uh, take Bond and and help him get it out so that then they can get it from him, and and um, kill him, obviously yeah, and kill him, and and are coming back to your to your the su- super sexual predator club. Um, her first question to Tatiana is not even question. Her first statement is sort of like, "Oh, so you took ballet and also you've had three lovers," yeah, <laughs> which are, which is just sort of like. Very in a very realistic response, Tatiana's kind of like, so, no, what? Sorry, no. She yeah, it felt like Rosa Klebb was this close to asking if she ever watched Gladiator movies. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very much, very much a, a similar feel. Uh, um, so I, I have to go into my Rosa Klebb notes now because there, believe me, there's some Rosa Klebb notes. You have some, you have some Klebb notes. Oh yeah, yeah, Klebb uh, described. As a toad-like figure in an olive green uniform, yeah, Grant Grant is asexual, uh, as is is Blofeld in uh, when he's first described uh, in the novel Thunderball. Kleb uh, Kronstein is speculating about Kleb and says that he would call her a neuter. Fleming, I forget if this is Fleming. I, I wrote down this quote. I forget if this is really Fleming or Kronstein saying this, but it says, sexual neutrality was the essence of coldness in an individual. It was a great and wonderful thing to be born with. <laughs> <laughs> Tough stuff. Uh, okay. R- Rosa Klebb, uh, in general, her figure, uh, with its big pear-shaped tips, could only be likened to a cello. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> and then Rosa Klebb. Had... It sounds like it sounds like someone writing really mean stuff about their like fifth <laughs> yeah. grade teacher. It sounds like the so Mean so Girls so like Nope. So her Fleming stuff with the villains. This is, the, this is, is Ian. This is Ian Fleming's burn book. Yeah, this is Ian Fleming's <laughs> burn book. Uh, I, I bet he knew someone who looked like he he describes Rosa Klebb 
or he thought they did. I feel bad that some woman auditioned for it, was really happy she got the role, and then was like, I can't wait to read my backstory. Oh, no. <laughs> well, and it's it's weird also that it's it's Lade Lenya, who was, I believe, like a, a silent film star, or she was early, like, late 20s or 30s film star. Yeah, I can, yeah. from her pantomiming uh, later in the film, I can fucking tell. Yeah, so uh, she was, she was like a, a bombshell in, in her day, and she, um, you know that song, Mac the Knife? Uh, they reference like all you Lottie Lenias and that meaning like you know beautiful women uh, so that she goes on to play you know <laughs> Ian Fleming's toad villain yeah. uh... <laughs> they, I, I think they they dull her down substantially in oh, yeah, costume and makeup try to make her ugly yeah. it honestly it honestly reminds me of in Home Alone when like the older brother's girlfriend that's supposed to be really ugly, like the film the filmmakers felt that it'd be so mean to show an ugly little girl that they cast a boy. Like <laughs> this feels like like a very similar sort of like they sh- they should have done something. If Ian Fleming hated this person so much, they should have just like cast some old hairy man and just stuck him in, in drag. Or Orson Welles would <laughs> have been perfect. Really? Yeah. Honestly, they, they just go drag two movies later in Thunderball. They should have just gotten that same guy. He could have played her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Woof. Um, so, yeah, we got all the club. We get the club. Yeah. And then we get to London uh, where Bond finds this stuff out. Yeah, it's, and we it's have, 18 minutes into the movie that we meet James Bond. Uh, list, it, listening it, to his the own. good thing though is that it doesn't feel like it. No, no, it's the the, the pacing is so good. Exposition, I don't think is is boring at all. And um, it, it, Peter Hunt, part of that is he rearranged the whole order of everything. It was gonna go title sequence. Then I think uh, Cleb like gets Grant, gets Tanya, then Chess, then Specter Island. But they rearranged that so we know why she's getting uh grant and tanya and going to specter island yeah um so it makes sense and then we meet james bond uh listening to his own theme song on on the radio uh, which is Mm -hmm. great uh we have sylvia trench really the only bond girl to come back as the same character Mm -hmm. not like mod adams not a bond girl uh, okay, well, that's well. We'll debate that. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I remember just correctly, we already did. Just, <laughs> just continuing from last week. She's, she's in two James Bond movies. Is, she has sex with him in both. Called a continu- called a continuation, and uh, not a Bond girl. I like a running thread though between movies and podcasts, much like Sylvia Trench. So he he gets the call to to come in. Uh, what does Money Penny say? Like, sounds like some old case you're working on or something. Yeah. Uh, I think she says it sounds like a fascinating old case or something yeah, like it, that. He calls it, he, call, he says he's working on an old case. Yeah. She jumps on the phone, uh, and then, and then yeah, you get the, the great the great uh, Money Penny line of like, oh, it's some old case, Bond. <laughs> I, I like how he, he extends for another half an hour to uh, allow for uh, a little afternoon delight, and... Uh, when he says make it an hour and a half sylvia trench just gives this little clap just like oh yeah 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 and then he refers to it as lunch which is like <laughs> you gotta eat sometime bond yeah. you gotta you really gotta you're, you're you're starting to wither away um i just need one scene where i watch bond eat like a grilled cheese sandwich i'm starting to worry about that guy he's he's yeah. looking pretty healthy uh, i feel God. like i feel like he eats in the books a lot from what i've Little I've read of them. I feel like he, that comes up more. Yeah. He never eats in the movies. Oh, he's already, he's already. Connery in the movies is always 
ordering food, but yeah. you never see him like eat anything. But it, in the books, this guy eats. Let me tell you. Yeah. If I, I'm 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 now so upset that we never got like a Brad Pitt Bond movie where he's just <laughs> he eating course, yeah. for two solid hours. <laughs> <laughs> just he at all times has like like he's shooting a gun and he just has like a, like a croissant in his mouth and he's just like just uh the what we missed all the things we missed gentlemen yeah. so you have the, the um, villain going and then we will fire the laser at new york city are you paying attention bond <laughs> just, like, oh, just crumbs yeah, just kfc <laughs> yeah as the whole audience is just like it's he's just so relatable yeah. uh, <laughs> that's what i'm doing right now stuffing my uh, face but uh so, uh so so in this meeting we we then get to which something that's going to be my a continuing theme for me as i rewatch these movies for this podcast which is that we get uh, our very first Q sighting. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Which is it? Oh, and I said out loud in my in my kitchen. I was like I was like making dinner and I was rewatching the movie out loud. I just go Q <laughs> like he was Norm from Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just so excited that he that he showed up. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that scene. I, I have some notes on that. It's he, he's not even called Q in this one. He's he's Major Boothroyd from from Q Branch. Yeah, from Q Branch. That I mean, the scene's amazing. I I think, it, even too. I think the gadgets are still so cool. I think the briefcase is just unbelievably awesome. I think the uh, the rifle in the suitcase is great. Yeah. I, I think the way that they use this cue scene too, and they, you know they do this over and over again, but they use it as an absolute like foreshadowing engine. They just so masterfully place the whole thing with the talcum powder can and the you know. The gold, the gold ciphers in the suitcase, everything he uses against Grant later, kind of in that suitcase, they see it in there. It's, it really made me appreciate the value of the Q scenes. I mean, those things act as just total, these perfect like seating moments in Bond movies for later satisfactions you get. Yeah, it is like um, it is like Ian Fleming like read read a book about writing and read about read about Chekhov's gun and took it really literally. Yeah. Um, where where it is definitely just that like all right we're gonna we're gonna come out and we're gonna show all these things and then Bond's gonna use them yeah um, Q, and, and he, it, it pays off gun. which is the best part yeah, yeah. Q should have just been called Chekhov's and this is Chekhov's <laughs> gun but hey Bond this is Chekhov's gun don't worry about how it works at a point later in the film the what don't worry about it at a point later in the film you'll use this to in a in a dire moment to escape something. Like, oh, 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 thank you, Q. Yeah, but he says something like, well, that's a nasty little box of tricks, but I, I shouldn't think I need it on this assignment, sir. But yeah, and then M's, and then M's just like, ah, just fucking take <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, he's like, ah, you know, <laughs> we like, have to pay these guys to do something. His line, of, his line of dialogue is literally just sort of like, ah, I agree, but yeah. I don't yeah. know. I love that, like, Bond's first two interactions with M in the movies, like, M's like, hey, this one thing, I really want you to take this. Like, the Walter PPK, take it. The briefcase, take it. Bond's just like, fuck you, dude. I, I will not take it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's great. Um, but yeah, I was, it, uh, it's a beautiful little moment. And it's, it's I, I'm I'm cheating off of someone because it's a thing that I read forever ago, but I love it. Um, I think one of the things that makes this movie so good and why this stands out to a lot of, a lot of people as their favorite Bond film um, is that it is the perfect transition from 
a traditional sort of spy film that then there there have been many 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 of in the world before um and you have your things that like you know james bond could have gone the route of like a tinker tailor soldier spy or like things that are high drama um but then the film after this um which i'm not going to talk about it because that's obviously another episode but the film after this goes more uh sci-fi more high art more more sort of uh out there and this film is the transition from from one genre into what james bond ends up essentially creating yeah um where like you get these q gadgets um and it's really cool that this spy has gadgets but at the end of the day they're all real it's a briefcase that has a secret knife in it It it's a briefcase that is booby trapped it has some money in it and then there's a kind of small gun yeah. Like, that's all very realistic, but you get to feel special. I, I agree. I, I had the same thought. You, you could strip the movie of all of those elements, the Bond elements in there. I think it's the only Bond movie that would still, like, kind of work as a story, I, which I... Yeah, I'd yeah, say yeah. Ca- Casino Royale, probably. Also. Yeah, Casino Royale. But, um, but and, and those are probably the two, Commercial with Love and uh, Casino Royale, that, that almost draw the most from the books. Well, that I, I, at least in, in tone... Um, Casino Royale just uses a lot of the the casino stuff is is the same and and the relationship and Bond the character and him and Vesper and stuff probably Promotion with Love and Honor Majesty's Secret Service are the closest in terms of just story with the the novels Um, but yeah Promotion with Love it's it's really grounded and uh, yeah you're right It, it doesn't have to be a James Bond movie um, and it's like the most the most unbelievable part of it is just the existence of Spectre and probably Spectre Island, really. But the the only thing that they try want to do in this is kill a spy and steal a typewriter. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it's it's a, an but it feels like it has world implications. I, I think this has like the just right stakes for a Bond movie. It's like we're going to create a lot of trouble, probably not world-ending trouble, but we're going to accelerate an already pretty dangerous situation with the Americans and the Soviets, you know, the West and the Soviets, I should say, because obviously Bond's not an American. It just, everything about it is just really cool. The whole story and the intricate plotting, it just all all works. It, it does sort of feel like it should be the, the first James Bond movie, because I think Dr. No kind of goes bigger and more science fiction with Dr. No and his whole island and everything. And it, I think, and doc, Dr. No, I think it, sort of in the, in the books is the, the turning point where you go from like Casino Royale and from Russia with love where it's stuff like that are the first few are pretty grounded. And then from doc, uh, in Dr. No, the novel, it's like, you know, he's, he's using radio frequencies to alter, uh, to sabotage, U.S. Um, rocket launches and like hit Bond fights a giant squid at the end. <laughs> Going back really quick to uh, Kronstein's introduction and in the novel, they call him the Wizard of Ice. That's his nickname in Russia, I guess. Um, that chess room, I always just assumed uh, was like a real place that they rented out. It's actually a set that cost $150,000 out of the $2 million budget for, like, this two-minute scene. Uh, it's pretty amazing. That's kind of strange, really. Yeah. I mean, it's not that much happens there. Yeah. It's just two yeah. old, creepy dudes I, playing I, chess with a guy, like, like moving tiles. There's a, there's, a, there's a world where there's some really cool stuff that happens there, but, like, none of it does. 
Um, it's such a cool scene. Yeah. It's like it's such a cool set. Like I love everything that that was possible there. And then like it it does just feel weirdly that feels like a scene from the newer Bond movies where there's sort of just like a fun egregious set piece to differentiate the world from the real world. Um, yeah. Where like in the modern Bonds you'll have these like you know they'll go to to you know Bucharest or they'll be in like Fiji and they'll just they'll show you something that is like just out of the norm enough. Um, that you get to feel this this sort of like heightened sense, and then here they're just sort of in this like insane chess realm. But uh, granted, at the same time, this was that this is you know we're talking how of the Cold War. We're also talking the height of chess as a as like an international power grab. Where let me flex my my really niche nerdy chess knowledge. Just that that idea that <laughs> that chess at this point was because there was a like. The, the chess at this point was viewed the same way that the Olympics were, um, where it's like it was not just a game. The winner was the best, right? Where it's like you have this is the same time period where like two, three years later, you have that um, or not two or three years later. Sorry, about 10 years later, you have like the an Olympic basketball team where like the Russians may have cheated and like it caused a scandal so big that like the U.S. almost pulled out of the Olympics. Uh, chess was the same way, where where much the way that like um, Chinese acrobats and 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 uh, not ac- not acrobats, sorry, Chinese gymnasts now are like trained from birth to become gymnasts. Um, Russia was doing the same thing with chess prodigies. So I think that that people in the time are able to watch that and be like, oh, this guy's good at chess, and his name is different. He's clearly evil. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's kind of like if. Uh... If like LeBron is like the villain of is like number three inspector <laughs> like today, yes, that would be that would be a, a really good. Or I get yeah exactly, um, or what you know whatever the the Soviet equivalent of that would be, which would be what I guess it would be Luka Doncic. Um, what, what do you think there, Schleck? Yeah, Kristaps uh, Porzingis seems. Oh, it would be Porzingis because it's got to be Porzingis. It would be Porzingis because he'd come over and people would be really worried, and then ever, and then about three years later, people would be like, "Eh, maybe he's a good piece." Yeah, um, I think maybe cool he can about, do some some terror. I don't know. The cool thing about Porzingis is he could both be like a mastermind, but he could also just be Jaws because he's like a freakishly huge person. Like God, he's essentially no. the same height as Jaws. Now I just want. Now I just want. Well, I was about to say now I just want LeBron James in more movies, but Space Jam comes out in like a year, so I we I get that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so I just rewatched uh, Wayne's World for the first time in a long time, and that ties in because there's the scene in the donut shop where they're like, "What are you gonna do, Wayne?" And he's like, "Well, we got these guys," and he opens the door, and it's all the guys like throwing ninja throwing stars and like shooting flamethrowers. <laughs> And it's just like Spectre Island, basically. Yeah. Uh, and then James Bond uh, in M's office says, "Like, well, this is all just so fantastic. Like, how could this Russian cipher just fall in love with with my picture?" And he goes, "Unless she's mental." It's <laughs> like, oh, wait, Wayne's World again. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the common themes are tremendous between Wayne's World and From Russia with Love. Oh yeah, watch watch Wayne's World with uh, any Bond movie. It'll just sync <laughs> I, up. I will say, going back, the Spectre Island scene with the live the live targets <laughs> yeah. is just awesome. That has got to be one of the coolest moments in all of the James Bond movies. Yeah, it's so fucking insane. <laughs> it's just like some guys jumping through like 
flame hoops as people shoot at them. Like, what? Who's running this island? Where it does they- sort of. It does sort of betray the 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 beautiful setup that that Blofeld and Doctor No set up of this like super society of like really cool sort of like I, the, the way that they started to become in the modern in the modern films where it's sort of like a Moriarty where they're sort of trying to set up like the MI6 for crime but then at the same time they're like they're like good now fight that lion and you're like I'm sorry what and they're like yeah fuck it we're evil I don't know true go 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 you how about you have to bite this snake and they're like excuse me yeah you bite him before he bites you <laughs> Yeah, what uh, one thing that's from the the novel is just the detail of Rosa Klebb, uh meeting uh, Red Grant and being like, "Oh yeah, nice. Like this guy looks like he's in good shape." And just taking out her her knuckle duster and surprise, just sucker punching him in the gut. <laughs> yeah, what is she <laughs> and being doing? Like the... he's in he's in good shape. What does she do in the movie? She like hit she hits him on the on the the butt or something. She does something. No, I think in the, like in the right movie. in the abdomen. Yeah, right? he she gets him in. The, but like in it's the not. Yeah, you're right. It's not like a like a like an like a like yeah like an insane thing like it would be in the novelization novelization like it would be in the book. But like I don't know. She got to test the goods. The this, yeah. this like weird. Dolph Lundgren ass like I'm gonna keep referring to him as like that is the most Aryan looking dude that has ever existed um and the fact that in the book it, like he's supposed to be like an Irishman like he's supposed to be kind of like like um uh like a, like a crazy like w- would have been a member of like the the like an Irish sort of like bombing um, squad and instead yeah. he just instead he's just the most German ass just like he, he he looks like Dolph Lundgren on on on. Well, I was supposed to say on steroids, but on less steroids. Yeah, <laughs> nobody could be on more steroids than. Well, I'm I'm really thinking of uh, Ivan Drago, not Dolph Lundgren. Oh, Ivan. Um, I I think he's supposed to be Irish in the movie though too. Yeah, like, they no, they call him Irish. Yeah, but but like he's not. Yeah. Like even I if think... the act. Let me put it this way: even if the actor is, I can't be convinced that that anyone that was filming that concurrently as it was happening was like ah good this will read as an irishman yeah i think they were going for a third reich look you know um, i think the i think the hair and makeup and wardrobe people they were like hey you know but um but yeah third reich so, wet dream so they eventually now get to they now get to istanbul and introduce one of my just all-time favorite uh side characters of yeah. uh ali, ali kareem bay yeah um, Ali Karim Bey. Yeah. <laughs> Ali, Ali Karim Bey. What? Yeah. So in the book, they call him Darko Karim Bey, and Bond calls him Darko, which is only because he has dark skin. But it's, it's, at least Bond doesn't come up with a nickname, I'll say. Yeah, the, um, it's his, his backstory, and it's like, it's not... It's funnily like brushed over. They kind of touch it in the movie, but the idea that he was like his mom was a governess and his dad was a fisher, and then like his dad was sort of a spy for the English, and then he started working for this like what is it Terminal T or or, or Section T or whatever, um, mm-hmm. and then that what what we get from the backstory is that uh, when he says that weird line to Bond where he's just like ah it's this is better than bending bars and lifting bricks or whatever he says when he's like ah oh, yeah. back when I was in the circus which would imply that he was a circus performer when in reality it's that he like was undercover at the circus 
Um, and then yeah, we get this awesome scene late, late, like a bit later on where he's he's uh, uh, like sleeping with some rando because it's like especially from from the scenes with the gypsies, it's heavily heavily hinted at that he just like is very much a free love bohemian. Like this dude's got fifteen sons, um, and this this another woman is calling for him to come back to bed, and he's like reading paperwork, and he gets up to walk over to her, and he goes ah. Back to the salt mines. Yeah. <laughs> Which any man with the balls to call sexual intercourse with a beautiful woman who cares about you the salt mines. And then to walk over and have her, he, she takes off his jacket for him and he turns and begrudgingly starts just like totally macking on her in a kiss that, that is better than any kiss Sean Connery has ever done on screen, by the way. Um, like that dude's my hero. That dude is an insane person. Um, so do, do you know the, the story of that actor, Pedro uh, Armentes? Yeah, Un- I do. I think unfortunately. He suicide before the movie came out, right? Yeah, so um, John Ford, he'd been in a couple of, of his movies, and he was buddies with Terrence Young, and he called him uh, as this movie was like in pre-production uh, and said, like, hey, like, I got this Mexican actor. Can, he's a buddy of mine. Will you, do you have a role for him? And he's like, well, we got a Turkish guy, but, you know. It's 1963. Fuck it. <laughs> um, so they get him in, and yeah, the mi- middle of production, he's he's diagnosed with terminal cancer. Um, so they rush his the, his last scenes, uh, it, but he insists like I really want to finish doing this movie. So they uh, rearrange their their schedule to get all of his scenes in in, in two weeks. He he does an absolutely fantastic job. <laughs> yeah, he's he's maybe the best. Bond ally. I think so. I think he actually maybe upstages Felix Leiter in any Felix Leiter appearance as well. Yeah. I like how how much they um you you really get to see it later on in the train when he uh when he he ends up uh, getting killed. You can see um and I honestly wish that they had given uh that that Terrence Young had given Connery more time. Like I wish the scene had been longer that he had given given more more time uh, or like a, a secondary interstitial because bond goes in finds out that that like hakeem has died takes um a not a souvenir but takes a personal item the the the, the like cigarette holder that he uses yeah. that he smokes with yeah. um and obviously it's under the auspice of having of giving it back to his family um but then he then goes back to the the compartment uh where where tatiana is and and he like he he hits her like he's yeah. he is so he he thinking that she is involved in this and involved in this dude's death, and this is like this is James Bond. This is a guy yeah. that 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 purposely pointedly doesn't care about about random people, and he like this woman who who he is ostensibly falling for. He's so upset at this dude's death that he he runs down a train, throws open the door. And and yells essentially just like, did you know about this? She goes no, and he slaps her, uh, and and like which is awful. Um, but like you, there you can. It's one of those moments where you can see the the uh, emotional impact that this this kind of you know this slightly bumbling but like exceptionally useful ally like had actually had on Bond. Um, yeah, and that that's you know uh, an area where. Usually, I think people think of the literary Bond being kind of darker and more of an asshole. Uh, but actually, in the book, he totally, like, he thinks about could Tanya be involved in the death of, of Karim? 
decides, no, I, I trust her. He, he doesn't slap her around at all in the books. It's interesting that he, he goes a little darker in the movie. And I think it's, it's maybe the only example of Bond kind of roughing up a woman uh, who's not it, like on equal footing, you know, with a fight like Xenia or something. Yeah, um, I think the, the only other the time I can... Of, I, I won't... Well, Man with the Golden Man Gun, the Golden but Gun, I, was, yeah. I was gonna say this one is the time where it... I, of course, won't say it's good, but I think it makes sense from a character perspective of he's this hardened spy and his good friend has just been killed and this woman might be involved or responsible... It's an, it's an emotional it's an emotional reaction from a guy who we see emotional reactions from him every film but usually yeah. the, the the reaction comes when a a supervillain has put him at personal risk. Yeah. Um, yeah. and this, this was about... instead a reaction to something to to something that someone had done to someone else. Yeah, I think you really buy their their friendship in this. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. It's... They they it even it it, it felt um it felt uh, uh, really similar to what ends up the relationship they end up having uh, like 20 years later in Indiana Jones between Indy and um, uh, Sala. Yeah, and Sala, uh, yeah. where where it's this it's this beautiful sort of like should never have happened two two people from different worlds from different like you know different different walks of life. I wouldn't be surprised if if even uh, uh, unconsciously that they're like yeah. those two are related. Um, because like it is such a, a similar friendship. Yeah, I know um, Spielberg yeah. loves this movie and, and said that when he worked on Jaws and, and Last Crusade, he like made a point to talk uh, both with Connery and, and Robert Shaw, like specifically about their their fight on the Orient Express, which we'll we'll get to in a few minutes. Yeah. Or... But yeah, I think that's just to circle back, I, I do think that's maybe one of the stronger elements of this movie and really separates it from a lot of other Bond movies is Bond having a truly sort of equal-footed, legitimate male friend. I mean, he likes Karen Bay. I mean, I think they work together, but they seem to be friends. And, yeah. you know, you get it with Felix Leiter and Doses, but I don't think ever to the degree you quite feel it in this movie. No, because that's... they come in and, and they're, they're supposed to be a power dynamic that Bond, where Bond feels powerful... Bond, every time he walks into a situation, always gets to feel like he's above and different because he's a double O. But this guy, from the outset, throws Bond off because Bond Bond lands and there's a car waiting for him. Yeah. Um, and it's and and he gets picked up and he gets driven over and he's like, "Oh, your chauffeur's smart." And he's like, "Oh yeah, that's my son." Yeah. yeah. Um, Speaking of that, a, a quick note on that: I really love that airport sequence because it's an absolute inversion of the Doctor No airport sequence. Yep. 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 He gets picked up. By, by someone who's actually there to pick him up, but the guy that's following him in the airport is actually the bad guy. Yeah. Or not okay. really the bad guy, but he's the, you know, he's a spy who's spying yeah. on him, not an ally. Um, also, we're, we're still in the point where uh, it's cool to just play the Bond theme, blast the Bond theme for James Bond doing anything. Doing literally and, and anything. I think, I think it's it comes off as silly when, when he's, like, walking around. He's just strolling around his hotel, kind of half half-assedly checking for bugs i think it's awesome when he's he's coming into the the, the new city and it's just blah, 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 blah. like i think that stuff's great yeah there's something about the connery movies and the way they really use that theme song for moments like that that i, just I think dig well even pretty... today with up through like brosnan uh like it's always cool to use the james bond theme just for traveling yeah or like look at this plane look at this car <laughs> bam, 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 bam. 
that that always works for me. Yeah, it's it's so cool, and it's 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 great the way that they cover. Um, this is a really cool treaty into uh, just straight up Cold War politics, um, and we get um, this really cool uh, then transition into the next piece of real action, which is that uh, uh, um, they go in the weird fucking Phantom of the Opera gondola um, underground <laughs> yeah. to underneath the Russian uh, consulate to unveil um, the 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 world's <laughs> perviest periscope. A per- yeah. a, a, like a periscope the, for perverts. A perverscope. Yeah. It's, 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 there's a periscope in the floor. I guess just the floor that pops up and is staring from the worst possible angle for reconnaissance at one table. Um, and yeah. this is, yeah. this is just and this is where bond gets so much exposition and so much um sort of information that's going to be uh, what the th- the crux of the next hour of the film is about um and you get it from this one scene and you get it because of uh Karim Bay there's like a paragraph in the book of Karim describing how they put the periscope in there and like what it its function is and everything and i still read that twice and i was like so how did the russians not see it <laughs> like yeah, I'm a little unclear on that, even in the movie. How exactly? I mean, it's getting a pretty clear view into that room. I, I feel like the Russians would see that thing. Um, I'm going to go back just a second, because uh, I just want to read this. Um, this is the Russian file uh, as they're describing James Bond in the novel. They say, first name, James, height, 183 centimeters, Weight, 70 uh, kilograms, slim build, eyes blue, hair black, scar down the right cheek and on the left shoulder, signs of plastic surgery on the back of right hand, all-round athlete, expert pistol shot, boxer, knife thrower, does not use disguises, languages, French and German, smokes heavily, uh, special cigarettes with three gold bands, vices, drink but not to excess, and women, not thought to accept bribes. Thought that was interesting. Right, so I mean, uh, whoever, whoever, whatever Russian dude wrote that should probably get a like a raise. That that's a, yeah, that's really <laughs> well, freaking that accurate. Yeah, it's it's drinks, but not to excess. It's like okay, well that's I, that's Bond's superpower of what being able to drink. What there really should be is at the end of that there should be an addendum where where some like some upper level KGB guy looks at it and is like, final notes. We have this much info. This is clearly a bad spy. <laughs> we know too much about this man who is counterintelligence. Well, I like that they say does not use disguises, by the way. <laughs> they should yeah. include, like, always uses his real name. I do like, uh, though, I think they point out one of his best features in, in that he just the phrase all around athlete. Like, yeah. so many times, Bond, <laughs> it just covers Bond is it. Just, he's just a great athlete. Yeah. Like, he would have probably been a they great. Just cover it, yeah. He's yeah. a five star recruit. He's a real. Yeah, I mean, he's just. <laughs> the guy can he's... do every athlete. Yeah, this guy's so a real well. three tool. He'd be a shortstop for sure. 8,000 Facebook friends. <laughs> the Yeah, yeah. Very popular. The valedictorian. Um, yeah. Um, and then. Go ahead. Oh, I was just—I was—I was gonna get back and, and say that that we have Bond after he has does all that stuff. He we have a, you have a, a classic Bond hotel scene, which you in the series get a lot of actually, um, where Bond goes in and Connery I think does some of the best work in this. Weirdly, it's a weird thing to do. He walks in and he has to, in a way that is entertaining to an audience, 
look for bugs. So he has to, Sean Connery has to walk in the room and be like, great, I have to look for bugs in the most sexual way that I possibly can. Um, and so oh, he, he stalks that through that room. Yeah, exactly. Say, yeah, there's something about the, the gait of his walk and like his stride and his sort of like, this is real aggressive nature to it in a weird way. He look like, he looks for he looks for the wire, which he finds. He looks for the wire like it not only owes him money, but it owes him sexual favors. Yeah. Like he he finds that wire, um, and then and then promptly asks for another room, that is yeah. I'm assuming also bugged. Yeah, <laughs> it's like uh, I was thinking also like I he, think you're fighting a losing battle here. Yeah, like, he calls I, down and he's like, oh, can I get another room? And they and like the woman is like, yeah, um, and then like leans over and she's like, Frank, do you have another room? <laughs> like it's it's insane, and they, he ends up. I think I think that the way we're supposed to read it because they he ends up switching to the 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 bridal suite. I think yeah. the way that we're supposed to read it is that like Bond <laughs> knew that this was a possibility and essentially is using this to get a free upgrade. <laughs> like this is him it's, wandering into a Marriott and being so, like, "I was booked two hours ago. I need an upgrade now." Okay, do you know why in the book he changes rooms? Uh, it is because. Uh, Going back to Dr. No, he finds a centipede in his room. Are you shitting me? I was going to joke. Couldn't get enough of centipedes. I was was going to joke. I was going to jokingly say that it was a centipede. That is hysterical. No, and it's, I mean, there's no mention of, like, this one's poisonous. He's just like, ah, fuck this dirty room. It's God, funny. Yeah, I'll take the bridal suite. This disgusting the, country. <laughs> That's the, kind of what it is in the book. <laughs> the way that that in the book calls back to something that happened to him in Doctor No. Well, it's it's before. I, I guess it's before. Yeah. In that case, but I I think this is another opportunity where in classic sequel form they really use something that Bond showed you in the last movie, and sort of flip, flip it on you. I mean, they you see Bond so expertly scope out his room in Dr. No and the way he preps his room and looks into it and he sets up all of his traps. And then in this one, he does that and they're actually using it against him. It's like they know, much like we as an audience know what he does when he gets into a hotel, the bad guy knows it too. And yeah. they use that to get him in the room they actually want him in. I yeah, think it's yeah, yeah. a really cool little moment of just like very fun sequel writing. Yeah, I love it. I love, in Bond films, a lot of my favorite scenes are when he gets to be by himself because it's... it's Bond is also always playing the character of Bond, um, uh, which is which is where a lot of the great storytelling comes out in Bond films. So the moments where he gets to be alone are some of my favorite because you get to see how this cat sort of just like and weirdly entertains himself. Like like yeah. he you know he's sort of on this weird mish. He's not quite sure what's gonna happen. He's like, well, I might sleep with this lady. She seemed cute. Um, and so he's like in this room alone, and like some other spy would probably like do do normal stuff but instead he's just sort of like psychosexually crawls around the room then he yeah. ting tangles the the chandelier for god knows why and <laughs> then he walks over and and puts a geiger counter on the phone and the phone's like yeah a lot of phone <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah i got some bugs yeah oh <laughs> Then uh, and then and then the best part is that all that's done and it's like cool. Let's go and do twenty minutes with gypsies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, let's get uh, you know what? Let's get into that. Let's get into let's get into yeah. the to the to the gypsies. Yeah, I think we gotta we gotta accelerate 
extremely fast and hard into the gypsy scene because I have a lot of thoughts and I have a lot of feelings about it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that we should just roundtable it. I'll go last and just be like, obviously this scene the 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 reason to do it is that it, it builds rapport. It it, it lets uh, uh it it sets up that the Russians uh, and uh, think that the Brits are doing it and the Brits think that the Russians are doing it, but all of it is really Spectre. All of those things are, are why this exists, but it's James Bond, so they obviously have to make it as madcap and ridiculous as possible. So, yeah. like, let's let's call let's like let's not spend. I could spend an hour and a half talking about this scene. That's that's well, not a, we, that's we can not all a agree joke. That that the the real life uh, Romani people of 2020 have no problem with this and and find this oh, very clearly. tasteful. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. including the the leader who who is dubbed uh, I think by a cartoon character who sounds like thank you, thank you. Yeah. I like yeah. that they spend like the first twenty minutes in Istanbul really shitting on the Bulgarians, and then <laughs> yeah. they're like, you know what? Let's dial it up a notch. <laughs> like, let's, <laughs> let's take it a step further. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Uh, uh, one of y'all go first and sort of highlight like a like a, a favorite bit of this. Uh, well, I, I would just go behind the scenes for a second and say, um, what's her name? The one of the the gypsy. Um, one of one of the two girls. fight fighting girls. She's in Thunderball, if I remember correctly. She's, yes, um, <gasps> she I'm, is. Yeah. Hold up. Well, while you look, I'll I'll go through because I got a lot of thoughts. I got some really interesting thoughts. I there's a line that Bond says at one point. I think he says, "Do me a favor and stop the girl fighting." Which yeah. I find funny. I mean, like he watched it, but just I think a Bond is a character. And I, I think this is a really good example of this. He's not really a good guy. He's just not quite as shitty as the either the bad guys or some other guys that you see in his universe. He seems to have a little bit more of a heart and some sort of moral guidance. Mm-hmm. And I think even, like, that's not a great... He could have stopped the fight to begin with. I mean, he's still watching well, what happened. I, like, you could tell it weighed on him a little bit. It's just, he's not good, I, but he's better than everyone else I, in his I world. I don't think so, because it, in the... The book they're clear about it but i think in the movie well, still karim says like whatever happens like you don't do anything like it's basically we don't have the power to stop this so it's like all right i guess yeah but still he still watch. asks he still watches it and asks them to stop he still he, has the he, balls even asks, retroactively to, like, he asks after uh he saves the the leader of the guy and they're like oh we're so grateful to you yeah exactly but i mean he uses something that he did that was nice yeah. to stop something he didn't like i mean I just find that to be a, a strangely weird Bond character moment. Like, so, so here's the thing about that is that if you're the if you're the defense lawyer who has just brought up this like piece of tape to prove <laughs> to prove Bond's uh, sort of goodness, uh, this is the moment where you're pointing up at the screen and you've paused it where Bond says stop the girl fight and the whole the whole jury is like oh yeah yeah he's a good guy and then and then I stand up as the prosecutor and I'm like hey go ahead and hit play for me and and watch as the next two minutes of film footage is James Bond being given these two women as a gift and then for- and then sleeping with both of them and then forcing them to sort of like behave as well as they can because they know that their fate is in his hands and then he leaves that's true he makes makes no choice he leaves to to go back to my original point I'm not saying that Bond's a good guy in this moment that what I'm saying is he seems to have to be slightly less shitty than everyone else in his world like he's he's Tony Soprano yeah, basically. Bond is like Tony Soprano. Like, in a, in a world of bad guys, every 
man in the Bond series forever is pretty much terrible. He's like just, other than maybe Q, like he's just like a smidge <laughs> better. And I find that to be a really weird thing they they do with Bond in occasional moments. You know, he's he's not a good guy, but he's he's a little bit better yeah, than your he's, average. He's good adjacent. Yeah, he's you know good adjacent. Um. um yeah, so Will. What about yours? What, what's your the... thing? What's your yeah, Will? What's your your big takeaway from Gypsy scene? Oh, I I don't have like a big note. Um, we get kind of the first uh, big James Bonds like army on army battle in in a Bond movie. Um, that's that's a fun scene, and I what kind of makes it is just gives it the extra layers is Red Grant in the background shooting a couple dudes who are about to kill Bond. Um, that's cool. You don't really get that in, in other movies. I, um, I'm quite fond of that, too. <laughs> and then there's the moment where James Bond uh, sees a gypsy and Bulgarian fighting on, like, a picnic table and just pushes the table into a pond. <laughs> and it's like, that that didn't really help the gypsy, I don't think. Like, so we're that, just both wet now. <laughs> so that is my... That was my... This, that would, it's going to lean into it. I'm, I'm going to lean into this because that was my big takeaway. The one thing that I was like... <laughs> again again this is a podcast in and of itself this like 20 minutes the my takeaway from this is the fact that this big massive battle fight uh, starts where james bond knows what side he's on he knows yeah. because one side is the guy that's helping him and a bunch of cool gypsies and the other side is literally soviet russia and he spends the entire battle fucking everyone over he does that he flips those two dudes on the table he walks over and two dudes are fighting in a tent and instead of helping one yeah, of them he, he cuts yeah, the tent down <laughs> He also then calmly walks over to a, a, a burning um, carriage that he cuts the ropes on, and it crushes three dudes, at least one of whom is a guy on his side fighting. During that entire fight, well, it's, J- it's James Bond, ratio. he is an equal, he's an agent of chaos. He's the Joker. He runs through this through this camp, and he's just like sowing dis- like discord wherever he can. It's amazing. I, I like, like too that at no point in the fight does he ever seek cover. Like never, he would never. in any gunfight no, ever. He just like yeah, he just walks around. He he's also does the cool thing. About. He also does the great thing that, that a lot of people used to do with guns in movies, where every time he shoots because he's not even like really shooting blanks, he like pushes the gun forward like he's punching you with a gun. Yeah, like it's, it's, he's, he's like yeah, yeah. it's great. It's oh, it's such a good scene. There's also the shot where uh, Karim gets gets shot and has to wipe fake blood on his arm oh yeah Ooh, yikes <laughs> well they'd already they'd already shot their wad with the chess room <laughs> yeah. set i mean they, they were they were working with scraps there. done yeah yeah um, handed him yeah, like a juiced no pomegranate they're just yeah. like yeah, yeah go for it you can tell they stole a lot from just like old western sets there it's just like it's like these old like covered wagons and uh you know maybe a log cabin somewhere back in the background also we get uh Maybe the best uh, looking cell phone since uh, Michael Douglas in Wall Street. That Krilenko just has like it's like the size of a like phone booth. The cell phone that he's holding up, well, <laughs> like walkie talkie. Everything about Krilenko is a cartoon character, so that just kind of follows suit. It's really great. Um, so like we 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 fast forwarding. Um, we uh, Bond gets back to his hotel. We have the first meetup. Um, with with um, him and and uh, what's her what's her bucket? Tatiana Romanova. Thank you. Um, 
and they do they do bond guy bond girl things um and then like he starts to get the emotional turn where they they now have the funny part is that how the having the lector be the the big plan the actual lector retrieval scene is real short um which is fine i don't think it had to be bigger or longer but like the james bond needed some plans he gets them yeah. from from uh the fact that she uh drops them off at the uh the the mosque um, where uh, a tour guide is giving actually a really wonderful tour. I kind of wish that I could have stayed with <laughs> yeah. that. Um, and uh, she ends up giving him the plans to this this Russian embassy, which is f- four rooms, um, which is great. Um, that she yeah. hands him a piece of paper that is drawn in crayon on like the back of a Chili's menu, and it is it is just four rooms that she has drawn, and she's like, and here's where the machine is. Uh, can we go back to them uh, meeting in the hotel for a second? That's uh, one note I made is that um, some of the, the Fleming dialogue in the novel is just really sophomoric. Like that, that scene where they meet is just pretty basic. They're just like, hey, like you, you look good. How about we do this? Uh, Richard Maybaum uh, really writes that scene well, I think, in the movie. And I don't know if you knew that that's the scene that they audition uh, every new actor who comes in to play Bond has to play that scene. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Her her dialogue, her line about his scar on his back is great. Um, yeah. Where she, that he re- comes in to kiss her, and, and she there's that great tracking shot from the top of his back down to the bottom, and he kind of like looks at her like, "What are you doing?" And she she has the like, "Oh yeah, you're, you're the scar is there, just like uh, just like I heard." Like it's it it I, shows this sort of. Um, it, it like puts her in, in a, a world slightly above just knowing a name. It like yeah. it alludes to her intelligence, but at the same time alludes to the danger that she poses. Small yeah. note too, they could have done a little bit better with the scar. Oh, makeup. it's bad. The scar. <laughs> it's it's bad. It looked like it's... a it looked like a fresh scar. It looked like it was like like there was still stitching. Yeah, in, like, yeah it, it looks like there's stitching in it. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's... I, I was like different ways of, of saying the name where she says, my friends call me Tanya. And he says, my friends call me James Bond. It's like bullshit. You don't have friends. Yeah. <laughs> she, and your she, friends, her, when they see you, aren't like, hey, James Bond. In her, in her, in her head, she's like, I read the file, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you forgot he's making a great friend along the way in this Ali Karim Oh, Bay, like come on. Don't. Come on. <laughs> In his head, he's just like, what would do friends sound like? I guess they, they would just call me my full name, right? Um, uh, and then well. in the uh, and then in the mosque, we do have Red. Um, Red yeah. uh, Ford shows up again, and he he does again steal Bond's sort of thunder and, and kills this like Russian operative that was that was there that was supposed to take out Tatiana. Um, and and because Bond takes forever to try to to go and like stop this dude, he like hangs up behind a pillar for like a solid minute. Yeah. Um. um so then in the the Russian consulate, they're they're stealing. They have that explosion. They're stealing the lector. Uh, that's the first time we get John Barry's Double uh, O Seven theme, which is dum 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 dum, um, which he plays in in a bunch of the movies coming after that i think he's a little bitter about not getting any credit for the james bond theme so he writes the 007 theme (laughs) yeah max to the point you made earlier about that scene too it's kind of like short it seems like really abrupt i think that's another one of the things that makes this movie cool and feel a little more grounded like it doesn't use every action scene as just to go all the way over the top like it just kind of happens the way 
I mean, not the way someone would probably steal something from an embassy in real life, but in a more realistic way than some grand, extravagant plan with all this mumbo-jumbo in there. It's just a fun, taut little scene. It's cool because it shows there that they can be competent. Um, it shows that like the work that they did before, the sort of crazy stuff that they did actually was worthwhile. Um, yeah. And it shows that in this moment, um, if only for a moment, that Bond um, uh, gets to feel as if, even though he knows it's a trap, that he's slightly ahead of the curve. So that when he gets onto the train and stuff, everything goes sideways. Um, you are dealing with a Bond that feels like the job's done. Um, yeah. That feels as if everything is solid. So that when you have... Um, um, everything sort of go tits up. He 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 isn't he isn't sort of still in operations mode. Um, he he was already sort of in like great. I did it. I got it. She's she's here. Um, either, you know, pretty sure she's she's gonna stick with it to the end. I'm pretty sure I got this one solved. We talked last time speculating about how many double O's there are, and granted, books are different from the movies, but. In the novel from Russia with Love, uh, it is talking about Bond. Uh, this is the Russians talking about Bond. It says he has worked for the British Secret Service since 1938 and now holds the secret number 007 in that service. The 00 numerals signify an agent who has killed and who is privileged to kill on active service. There are believed to be only two other British agents with this authority. Wow. Now that makes M's comments even <laughs> fucking weirder. 40% down. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> if there are three dudes and that and 40% losses, does that mean that you lost one agent and the other guy lost an arm? Because yeah, that's what I, that's the only way to percentile wise get to a 40. I think if if we're translating literally from from book to movie, you you would be right there. That's even worse. Now I've now I've lost faith in M as a as a sort of management <laughs> position holder. Like, yeah, well, I, I think he was, you know, I think he was hitting the sauce pretty hard. <laughs> I think we got to give him a break. It's like it's like wow, M. This is that was a guy. I was Stuart. He was a guy. You can't just call him forty percent of the service. Jeez, that's <laughs> that rough. That's real rough. Um. So yeah, so they steal the lector and then they get on. They they think they're scot free. They think they have a they have, they have a plan. They're gonna they're gonna, um, one of the fifteen, two of the fifteen sons are gonna pick them up in a car and they're gonna drive over the border. Um, that should be the yep. plan, but um, but God, oh, those those wascally wabbits at Spectre, um, they really jump in there, don't they? <laughs> yeah, this is where the movie gets really good for me. I I love the first half of it. But man, when they get on that train, I just that's yeah. like it's one of the best sequences in all the Bond films. Uh, so that scene they're filming in Istanbul, them jumping on the the train, and Doctor No did really well in most parts of the world. So there's already crowds there that are crowding around trying to see them film the next Bond movie, uh, and Terrence Young tells uh, his stunt coordinator Peter Perkins to cause a distraction so he goes across the street and this guy hangs from a hotel balcony over there and screams for help so that enough people go away so that it just looks like a normal train station they can get this shot of sean connery jumping on the train there wow that's pretty funny wow until they didn't have the same regulations for shooting with the crew <laughs> that they do now yeah they, they were just kind of winging it yeah and and uh, they were overseas year. yeah 
where it, it really, really gets interesting for me is I, if I remember correctly, he, they, they make a stop in, I don't know if it's Zagreb or somewhere, or Bucharest, and they meet up with one of Karen Bay's sons, right? Yeah. He gives him the, uh, the, the lighter. He gives the lighter. The, and, yeah. Or the cigarette holder, right? Isn't it the little... It's, it's yeah, a cigarette yeah. holder that looks a lot like a kazoo. Yeah, and then I think, does he give him the instruction that he's going to meet Nash at the next stop or whatever? Yeah, I think so. Um, but that, yeah, just that that whole sequence and then meeting Nash slash Red Grant at the next stop uh, is just really great old-fashioned movie storytelling. Like, I don't think in a modern movie they would trust the audience to be that smart, even, that we see Bond do his his little code name thing where do you have a match i use a lighter with karim's son you just sort of see uh red grants walking on the train in the mm-hmm, background mm-hmm. and then in the next scene they do like a north by northwest like plane thing where the the train's starting to go we don't even hear what they're saying we just know that red grant is saying the same thing about the lighter to him and yeah. tricking him into thinking that he's nash yeah oh, it's that which is uh, later on we have we have another another North by Northwest um, with when you have when you get to the helicopter the chase we do yeah. um, I do really like the scene where Grant kills Nash and the way that they symbolize that he's Bond. getting ready to go uh, kills Grant oh no oh, no, no Grant, Grant, Grant kills Grant Nash, kills right. Nash yeah. is he go, he meets him <laughs> yeah. and he goes as they're walking into that private room you see him putting on those yeah. black leather gloves <laughs> and I, I, for some reason I. I don't know if you see him do that before, but he's always wearing the gloves when he kills people, and you realize, like, oh, yeah, he's going in to kill him. Yeah. Like, it's just, like, a really cool sort of foreboding moment there. He's such a cool character. And yeah, he's awesome. Grant kills that guy and hides the body in about eight seconds. Yeah, it was <laughs> when really we see quick. Him walking back out Nash, of that Nash was not that good at his job, I think <laughs> yeah. we can all say. No, and Grant Grant is... and th- th- here's, where, here's where I'll make that very quick, because I said I was going to make an argument. Grant up to this point, and even getting on the train, and even to the point of uh, making a big show of, I, and I, I know that it reads as a mistake. I think there's a world where it was on purpose. Um, but when when uh, uh, Grant Nash, Nant, if you will, um, contacts with Bond, um, is doing you know the old show of of being British. They go to dinner. Um, uh, Tatiana's already kind of out of sorts. Um, cause she's got fucking slapped. Um, and, uh, uh, Nash then drops something in her drink. Um, yeah. uh, and he does it with this really weird shot that like would never have passed in front of a spy. And clearly Bond sees it yeah. too, where he's running, he's running very nice sort of, uh, 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 champagne over his fingies yeah. into a glass. Yeah. Um, Non COVID compliant at all. Yeah, and Bond clearly sees it, and I, I'd like to think that that Nash did it on purpose. That it's sort of a double bluff to like put Bond onto him, and then when he has a good reason for it, to take Bond off of it again. Um, but like up to this point, he's been silent. He's been he's been exactly what he's supposed to do. He hasn't. Had, there's been no extra baggage. Like up to that point, he had been a model spy until he gets into this conversation with Bond, where where. Bond starts to sort of figure it out, and then he then he fucking monologues, <laughs> and and it's I, just. I, I do like the, the the fact that he, they would never, 
Dude, this is another one of those things like audiences today would never think about this. But I love the fact that him ordering red wine with fish yeah. is such a is such a giveaway to Bond that something's off. The pre- like a proper British gentleman would yes. never do that. Yes. Also, in in the novel, Bond notices that Grant is has a um, his tie is tied in a Windsor knot, which it says Bond distrusts anyone with a Windsor knot. It was the mark of a cad. <laughs> he also the the weirder part to me and and it's shocking to me that Bond didn't shoot him at the table is that Red definitely says Chiro instead of Cheerio, <laughs> and and the fact that either are fucking weird. Yeah. Um, but he goes, Chiro, and, and, and Bond just kind of goes, yeah, Chiro. Well, that, that's a thing in, in the book and the movie also, that how he keeps calling Bond old man, and yes. Bond's just like, stop saying that. Yeah. Like, that's that's clearly, like, some faux, like, Russian idiot has, has coached Red Grant and how to be an English gentleman. And the it best has part not is that he's Irish. Like, well. it's not as if yeah. he hasn't heard fucking british people he also comes on with this dick van dyke ass accent that's beautiful just wonderful i I like that and i think you you don't like you don't quite realize that you haven't heard him speak until Mm -hmm. 90 Mm -hmm. minutes into the movie Mm -hmm. until you meet him and then all of a sudden it's nash nice to meet you i I think that's what makes it kind of cool in a weird way it's like you all you see is this really foreboding dude who's like this ultimate killer and then he just gets on and then all of a sudden he's like this cheerful british chap saying chiro it's like weird and just off he's um he's an excellent excellent villain i think that he's he's at this point a little underrated when you talk about best villains because he doesn't have like a great name and he's not super flashy but when it comes to simple execution like he he could have and should have just shot bond like yeah, he yeah. he gets as close as most of the main villains get let alone a sidekick well, yeah. I think I think I would I would question I want to go back to this later if you really consider him the sidekick or who exactly. Or, sorry, sidekick was you're right you're right sidekick wasn't yeah. the right term. I more meant that like Blofeld is still the main villain of this. Um, he is the like he is the the hired gun. Uh, yeah, that's true. I I have I have a really a big point I thought about. I want to mention after we get through some of the the rest of the plotting about that, which I think makes this one of the most unique Bond movies. Cool, cool. But, uh, well, well, then let's jump straight into the two seconds that, that is necessary where we say that um, the fight scene between the two of them in the train car is is just the best. It just is. Yeah, it's oh, great. great. Unbelievable. They only uh, used stuntmen for one shot in there. Um, and it was the wasn't it that the the guy that fight choreoed it was like a was like a boxer and, and like they had they, like this scene almost got them caught in in a bunch of standards rules if I'm not mistaken of being like too visceral almost yeah <laughs> um and it's like it's you you that exact fight scene shot more modernly you wouldn't have to change a single piece of the um of the actual choreography that could read now it's it is an yeah. excellently choreographed piece like piece of combat it's it's so so cool yeah and there, there's so many scenes later in the bond series that just don't measure up to to how good that fight is that just seem really clunky in, in comparison yeah and i think something just about the close quarter nature of it and how claustrophobic and intense it feels just the fact that they set it not even in that whole train car just the one little half of the train car just really adds to the tension it's it's just really really well done Going back just a, a second to the the dinner, it's another area where Bond is more of an asshole in the movie than than the books. And that it, in the book, he doesn't uh, notice that Grant has drugged Tanya's champagne. Whereas in the movie, 
he's aware of it and he just lets it happen uh, and then is kind of an idiot because knowing that this guy who's clearly not all he seems and has drugged Tanya he just lets him kind of have the drop on him where oh I'll just like put down my gun and turn my back on you to look at this map yeah well I think it's a kind of cool it, it, it I think it it and, and obviously uh, Grant didn't do it on purpose but I think that it comes back to what we were saying about the idea that Bond is weirdly in like the the kind of the worst emotional state he could be for a deception to, to occur yeah. where he not only is in a mindset where this job should have been done this job like to, to this job should have been done um, before anyone died or before anything of these extra things have happened now his new friend has just died he thinks that the person that he's starting to have feelings for might have been involved in it um, and then now he has this the, I think it, it even uh, alludes to why he was uh, he, why he allowed this sort of very bad acting to um, uh, convince him is that he was just so ready for someone else to be in charge um, that this this other agent allowing that other agent to be, oh well why'd you drug her and, he, and he's like well my the plan from from home office is that this is an escape for one yeah and and he's so ready for it he's so ready for it to just be like all right I cool great I it, it extract me um and I guess I guess that's what we'll do yeah one thing I I don't love about the movie that um I think Ta- Tanya goes from kind of capable you know woman doing a job for her state to like seemingly falling in love with with bond very quickly and just the amount of the number of times that she's like james i love you and connery's just like all right like yeah it's just it's a little uncomfortable now it's a bit of the the in goldfinger you have it as a joke with like the the like the magic bond penis where like he turns a a very clear lesbian straight (laughs) but this is like this is another sort of egregious version of it where this woman this woman who is a a a a pure nationalist uh uh russian nationalist has sex with him like two times and is suddenly just like cool fuck my country (laughs) (laughs) I, I, i think it's kind of funny too that like Bond clearly doesn't like her very much. I, he's like kind of, he likes her enough. He doesn't really seem to like her that much. Yeah, that's and that's that's the one thing I I don't love that in 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 the book he he really, in most of the books he really has a, a respect I think for all the the women that you don't necessarily think about when you think of James Bond and and women, uh, but it's yeah not not here in in this movie. Yeah, a lot of this one was li- like him literally saying like, "Wow, she's hot." Yeah, like yeah. too often. Too like he yeah. says it. He says it three or four times. Like where he's just like, "Man, oh yes, she's hot." Uh, so act- at the start of this book, um, "Diamonds Are Forever" has been the the previous book, and uh, they talk about Tiffany Case from Diamonds, where he-, he Bond was like living with her for like six months, and M is asking him because he knows that he's gonna have to like try to like pretend to be in love with with like tatiana like hey like where's your head at like you still seeing this like uh tiffany lady like oh good <laughs> yeah because 40 percent of the bonds have died and <laughs> uh, i gotta get these numbers up well, these are rookie numbers also, coffee's, a... coffee's for closers em are you okay <laughs> i don't know steel balls uh, rosebud rosebud <laughs> Also, there's M in the book trying to, like, understand what a crush is and being like, I guess 
I guess I understand. You could like a pig. Uh, I had young women. Uh. Um, so yeah, now you get to in the film. You now get to such these really great action sequences that, if I'm not mistaken, and, and Will, I'm sure that you have the info. The a lot of the these two big action sequences, the helicopter chase and the boat chase, um, were both added like really late in filming. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just kind of at the end, they're they're not in the book. The the action that's in the book is basically Gypsy Camp fight uh, and then Bond fighting um, Grant and Rosa Klebb, all in kind of similar fashions to what we see in the movie. Um, these get added late just because they're, you know, want to ramp up the action, make it, it more of an action thriller. Uh, and yeah they, they decided to kind of just rip off uh north by northwest for the the helicopter thing apparently that's sean connery in a lot of those shots just kind of like ducking under a helicopter Hilarious. um and there's that really great shot uh really good stunt in one shot where you just see the the guy jump over the rocks as it looks like the helicopter's going right over yeah the and then we get the recycled uh music from the end of dr no where he <laughs> takes the helicopter down which is like did john barry like already go home and collect his fee or something could we not have gotten something better there it's it's great because if these if the two scenes were shot worse it would feel tacked on but it um it in the flow of the film it doesn't it it does it feels okay um even though like it arguably should feel um not egregious but it should feel extra and and because of the deliberate pacing of the rest of the movie this kind of feels like a breath of fresh air to end it yeah, because we're just in in between the the two main villains dying. There is one part of it that really bothers me a lot, and it's that uh, Bond leaves behind his top hat for just no reason when he's finished. <laughs> it's because Sean Connery he hates hats. Because Sean Connery was looking for a reason to <laughs> stitch the hat. And I don't know why it bothered me so much, but the hat is so clearly resting at his side after the helicopter's going down, and he just could have easily put it back on and he, he just knows he's going on a boat and he's there's probably well, he a, his captain's a, 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 i was about to say he does a big boat. hat switch he, oh it's before the boat he does it in the car he does it he's in the car and he's excited to get to the boat he puts it on so fast yeah um yeah. i mean he is he is you know a commander i mean he's yeah you know, he, he knows about, about he knows hats. about yeah, hats and boats <laughs> To speak, to speak a little bit early about your line about his cigarettes having three gold bands. That's because in the British Navy, if you're a commander, you get three gold bands on your lapel, right? Yeah. Isn't that the... So th- this is part of the, the production where um, everything just kind of goes to, to shit. I think it's as they're filming, they're showing up to film like the helicopter um, stuff. Uh, they're going there at like 5 a.m., the guy who's driving the the truck that has um was it daniela bianchi who plays tatiana um i guess it it is just tired or something and just falls asleep and crashes their car into a gorge sean connery uh helps her get out um they have to delay the movie a few weeks uh or they have to delay her stuff for two weeks because her her face is bruised up um then for the the boat thing uh they have that just fantastic uh explosion that just the line of of explosions in the water um they they had you know all the explosive the the charges um set to go 
there's a, a miscommunication with the crew, the stunt guys. They fire that off while the cameras aren't rolling. It's basically exactly what happens in the beginning of, of Tropic Thunder with Danny McBride. Like, that happens. They have to get more money, more explosives to do it again the next day. Uh, that day, John, uh, no, Ter- Terrence Young is coming in on helicopter. The helicopter pilot, I guess, decides just to show off, do like some tricks. So he, he tilts the helicopter. They're going like straight at the water. He doesn't pull up in time. They just hit the water. The blades fly off and they sink down to like 40 feet. Divers have to go down and rescue the director and the pilot. And then they just keep shooting a couple hours later. This really was just Tropic Thunder. This yeah. one is just Tropic Thunder. I mean... It's a shame that they weren't just like, let's do the next shot where Bond dives down to a submerged... <laughs> Save the director. Submerged, <laughs> like, they're like, we can use this, we can use this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so they, they do the, the... The boat explosion, by the by, is is, is wicked cool. It's, it's one of those old-timey explosions that like clearly is not what would occur but like you love an explosion and this one's damn good um it really is oh yeah um you have like the fun this this by the way gets back to what i was saying about how this is the bridge um uh from realism into sort of bond universe where like the fact that he gets that they drive and they get to to the boat to try to cross the the border um through the water all great and cool but what's on the back of this speedboat all of the gasoline in the country and you're like oh you're like ah, um. <laughs> and, then, and then like what happens is what you would think would happen in in any bond film further so like it's this cool but like it isn't egregious you're like well gasoline does do that when you hit it with a flare gun um and like <laughs> the captains of the and the, the guys on the other ships slow down because they don't want to yeah. hit this gasoline so like it, it still is based in realism but like then you get this cool ass James Bond explosion, um, which is just like a really great send off sort of at the like the the penultimate part of the film where then you only have like one scene left of or sorry, two scenes left of sort of catch up. Yeah, the last half hour of this movie is just like, all right, audience, like you did a good job. You kept up with this like exposition heavy spy narrative. Now here's half an hour of action, basically. Yeah. Here's here's some dudes on fire. Yeah. Um, when the helicopter explodes in the scene before Bond says, I'd say one of their aircraft is missing. Extremely dated joke is the Powell and Pressburger movie from the forties called one of our aircraft is missing. Uh, yeah. Cool. 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 Did, did dab, people, yeah. Dab on, dab on my haters. Yeah. I, think, I don't I think, understand. I think I people don't... got that. I, I imagine people in England probably got that in 63 but their kids didn't. Yeah, classic Bond, thinking that England's the center of the universe. <laughs> yeah. Cool, a cool twenty-year-old joke. Very awesome. That's 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 like yeah. that's like us ending the the end of this podcast with a fucking not joke. Um, just <laughs> you. Well, if we did that fifteen years. Uh, ago. Well, no, that's the point. Is no, if we did that now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> because yeah. he was referencing them being twenty years old. Um, but, uh, so, so we get all those things and then we get to, um, we get back to Blofeld, baby, or sorry, number one. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I don't believe he's called he's, Blofeld. He's not. Theater, right? Except, except in the credits, in the credits. with the, the actor oh. role being question marks. Oh, it, that, I love that. Um, which is cool because at the beginning it almost sounds like Sean Connery, um, which is fun. 
Yeah, it's it's uh, Eric Bowman uh, is the voice in this one and Thunderball. And as we said last week, I think Anthony Dawson, the guy who plays Professor Dent, is like the hands yeah, and yeah, like yeah. head of Blofeld. And they're like, it's Your a voice very sucks, it's a so. very Darth Vader um, uh, story where it's just like, how many actors <laughs> yeah. can we get to pull this off? Um, but you have Blofeld and you have, uh, again, this cool, like, all right, now we're in some high spy shit. Let's get into some Goldfinger next film where you have the two people who have disappointed, you have three and five who have disappointed number one. And you have a nameless henchman come in with a, a gadget, a killing gadget that is overly complicated. Um, and you have punishment doled out by the sort of like high directive, um, which is all so very bond in the best ways. Um, where, well, if he shot him in the head, Blofeld doesn't want to get blood on that cat. Of course not. Of course know? not. That was a lot of money to get out blood from that cat. Um, but the yeah, you have the the two or that you're uh, one of them might die, and we all think it's going to be Kreb because she's just so ugly and unappealing and fucked up and <laughs> disgusting and pear shaped. Um, but instead, it's we we get that this uh, henchman who could have killed this tiny chess man with his arms. Instead, activates a boot knife <laughs> covered in in some sort of venom, some sort of toxin, um, and he just sort of just kicks him in the shin. He just sort yeah, of yeah. kicks him in the shin. Yeah, and I like that Blofeld's really concerned about the yeah. time in which he died. He's like, really? That, that's his first thought is like, wow. He's I, like, I wish oh, let me would've... start the timer. He yeah. says... <laughs> they're, they're really obsessed with time-based killing. There's a close-up of Crab wiping her brow and happy that she hasn't died. And then the well, the first line of dialogue is you have Blofeld going, ah, 12 seconds. We'll have to get that down in further testing. Like, whoa, <laughs> this dude... You're, it's It's kind of like this dude... This dude fucks. This dude, like, yeah. if if this dude had gone out, maybe Bond would be dead. Like, this dude's great. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame, you know, Blofeld's such a gigantic pussy and makes everyone else do all this work all the time. Because if he got into it, I mean, he's a smart guy. He could make here's something the, of Here's himself. the big problem, though, so then, is that he, they, give the, they give these poison boots to Kreo and sort of do the job herself. Uh, and this is where the boot plan just goes to shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they, they, they also hadn't the counted chair. the boot boot knife works great when a seven foot tall behemoth is wearing boot, but when you put boot knife on a five foot like a five foot nothing thousand year old woman who's as ugly as sin apparently that yeah, James factor, Bond the, James Bond can yeah James Bond can pick up a chair and as if he's like a kid on the playground holding a guy back by his forehead like he just fucking pins her to a wall. Yeah, it feels like they'd really given up at this point. They're like, we've done enough. Like, let's just have him use a chair against her and get out of here. Yeah, so, and then Tanya is waving the gun back and forth like she can't decide which one of them she's going to shoot. It feels to me like that was a choice that they they thought they were going to be able to pull off, and then her <laughs> acting was bad. Like, that's, like, I'm not kidding. That feels, I feel like there's a longer shot of that where, where Terrence Young was like, oh, this is a cool moment where she has to choose... And then he was like, like in the editing room, it was really bad. And then he also realized, like, wait a minute, this entire film is her essentially saying, like, to James Bond that, like, he, she, that she'll like name her next, like, she'll name all of her kids James Bond, yeah, and she'll change her name to James Bond, um, and then like she wouldn't have to make a choice. Exactly, I, I don't buy that choice in the first place because she's repulsed by Cleb the whole movie and just totally into Bond. 
Um, but like I can see how like a director would want to make it a cool choice because there's a lot of points in the movie that are like interesting directorial directorial choices that are really cool and this feels like one that, that like just didn't play right where like kreb is supposed to represent na her nationalism and well, bond represents her her actual wants yeah i certainly think that's what they're going for is that she's kind of choosing between bond and what because at, at this point she's still under am i crazy she's still under the impression that Kleb's uh, on her side yes. like is a russian yes you know uh a, a yeah, russian she, is, she doesn't know she at no point even knows what Spectre is. She never even hears. Um, she's passed out yeah, she, when, when Bond and, and Red uh, fight. Yeah, she never learns of Spectre. And so I think that's what they're trying to go for. It's just at this point in the movie, it feels so she, beyond yeah, She had sold her hand. Yeah, a little too she quick. Had, she had oversold any, anything. So yeah. that feels really strongly to me like something that got changed in the editing room. Yeah. I just have to go back cause I, uh, for one second to the train because I remember that's that's one of the best uh, Bond villain lines, I think, is when uh, Grant says... Uh, my mission is to kill you and to deliver. My mission is to kill you and deliver the lector. How I do it's my business. Yeah, <laughs> it's a brief sidebar about that because there's a couple of really great lines in that scene. Yeah. I also like with the amount of conviction that Red Grant says, "I saved your life at the gypsy camp." With yeah. like that, Bond should be like thanking yeah. him for yeah. it. Yeah, it's like that shows you how Here's psycho thing, he really is. He also super did. Yeah. That dude kit was coming up on Bond with a knife, and Bond had. No idea that dude was there. But the best... The Bond franchise is very short if Red doesn't exist. <laughs> but the Bond... The, the best line is by Bond in that scene. I, it's, I think the best... Bond's classic move when he's in a position where the odds aren't really that good for him is to just antagonize the shit out of the villain. Oh, yeah. And I think mm -hmm, the line when he mm -hmm. says, tell me what lunatic asylum did they pull you out of? And you could just tell how much that hurts Red Grant. Because like, he is fucking crazy. Because he knows he's a lunatic, yeah. <laughs> no, it's because Red lo Red wants to look him dead in the eye and be like, no, it was a lovely summer yeah. camp. <laughs> like, you can just tell it cuts so deep. <laughs> well, and, and him in, in this scene, which a Bond as it's, at its best, it's kind of like... um. Nicholson in, in Chinatown where he's like he's charismatic guy he's kind of a bad guy but there is like a line where he, he has a code of that he lives by and how far he'll go and he's he's willing to lie and kill this guy and he, he's willing to lie and say that the British government is going to pay him twice what Spectre is going to pay him but he won't go so far as to put that on his word as a British gentleman, that that can't be. He's willing to die <laughs> yeah. for his his image as a British gentleman. Sp speaking of lines, and to bring uh, bring the film to a close, we we do get yet again, as we said at the end of last uh, uh, Doctor No, you do get um, to cap off this transition from from regular spy film Bond into Bondiverse. Um, like it's like either the last line or the second to last line of the movie. Bond delivers. Uh, one of the classic like kill lines, um, and I'm forgetting what it is. With with uh, it's about crap. She's had right? her kicks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where 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 he he looks at little their her little twinkle toes, um, and and yeah, she's she's had her kicks. Um, and uh, again, man. much like Doctor No, this ends with Bond really questionably shagging on a boat. If I. Yeah. <laughs> I think you can you can get away doing it on a boat in in the middle of the the Caribbean. Yeah, it's a little bit harder in, in just the canals in Venice. Of Venice. <laughs> yeah. Well, he goes for it anyway. Well, y'all, 
the best part is that what y'all didn't see is that like Felix is still just down the hall, like waiting for Bond. Like they they cut a scene where Felix is like, "Hey, meet me for lunch," and Bond's like, "Yeah, sure," but first, yeah, he's just. I think that's the secret thread is Bond is Felix is always sort of there. Felix is is, is Bond's rebound. Ma- yeah, <laughs> like like there's always a secret scene that gets shot in every Bond film where where Felix is like around the corner waiting for James. Yeah. And um, just to cap off the end of this, the only scene about this movie that I would probably change is I could have done without the Connery hand-waving goodbye to the, <laughs> film, the blackmail film yeah. of him having sex with a stranger. Yeah. I, I could have done without that scene. Uh-huh. Um, the, uh, yeah. The, the book uh, ends with... He, he knows that he's going to go to meet with, with Cleb. She doesn't really sneak up on him. Uh, he basically goes to where... He thinks uh, she's supposed to meet with Red Grant, and he calls Mathis from Casino Royale to meet him there and like bring some some heavies with him. And so there in the next room, they don't really get in in time. Bond still fights with Cleb. Uh, he he restrains her. The guys uh, get her down. Bond walks by her a little too casually, and she gets him with the poison boot knife. And then Bond like doesn't really take it too seriously he's like oh yeah you know I'm, I'm going here for dinner yada 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 uh james bond starts feeling sick the the last line of the novel is bond pivoted slowly on his heel and crashed headlong onto the wine red floor apparently fleming was just kind of bored was like yeah maybe i'll kill james bond i don't know if i'll do another one of these and then decides a few months later yeah i guess he didn't die that is the most Ian Fleming bullshit <laughs> I have ever fucking... That was a good choice by the movie to not end it that way. <laughs> yeah. That is the... the yeah, because the film also would have had to deal with, with juxtaposition from before, so James Bond would have been, like, a little cavalier, got nicked, and been like, well, I have dinner reservations <laughs> in 13 seconds, so I, <laughs> I can't be here. Oh, no. <laughs> I think... Uh... Yeah, I think they they end up making up something uh, in a later book to explain, like, oh no, there was a doctor on scene who was like very like familiar with poison, and, like really hooked him up. Well, it's, it was doc- It was Doctor Yes. <laughs> it was it was Doctor No's twin brother who who uh, instead of having uh, Chinese and German parents had German and Chinese parents and and was able to give him an, an antidote. Yeah, that sounds about right for Ian Fleming. It doesn't sound totally out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, but I will say, um, as a as a the the cornerstone cap on this uh, is that I this as much as you said last week there, um, uh, Road Warrior, the um, uh, Doctor No is is a lot of people's is a lot of people's top five. I'm sure that we'll do a thing where we eventually talk about it. Um, obviously, uh. Uh, from uh, from Russia with Love is as well for for myself and for most people, um, and it is uh, such a a massive cornerstone that the first three films in this franchise are still thought of as as uh, three of the top sort of like five uh, um, for most people. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a stunning thing. It's absolutely right up there for me, and and it's pretty stunning that this is uh, held. At, in as high esteem for people and and as iconic as it is without really being something that represents very well what most of the rest of the series is 
Like it's it's yeah. not your typical Bond movie, but it's just one of the best and, and most beloved. Yeah, I, I this one also I think gets older. It gets better with age, both with personal age and also I think that this is the one that even 30, 40, 50, 70 years from now, I think this is the one that will also still hold water. Me too. I, I just to cap off if, you know, where it ranks for me, it's a, it's a clear top 5 for me as well, and I would say that I think this is probably having just watch it. I would say that for me, this is maybe not my favorite Bond. I might not rank it number one of my personal favorites. I think this is the best Bond movie. I just think it's it's just a masterpiece. It's uh, it's with love. Wait, no, it's from Russia with love. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just uh, there's just so so much about it that's so good. And I'll go back. We were talking about villains a little bit earlier. I think the thing that stands out for me a lot. And this, you know, even Doctor No kind of has a must mustache twirling, mm-hmm. world domination crazy villain. Goldfinger is obviously a nut bucket. I mean, so many of the Bond movies aren't really spy movies; they're more good guy versus insane mustache twirling bad guy. I think when people talk about this movie and they talk about it feeling so, you know, much more gritty and sort of grounded than all the other Bond movies, it really stems from the villains that. It has. I, I think it's really cool that it doesn't actually have a main villain. It has, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's Blofeld and Kronstein who are sort of the masterminds. There's Rosa Klebb who's sort of the facilitator. And then there's Red Grant who really, for all intents and purposes, is the guy on the ground that executes the real plot, you know, step for step, mm-hmm. dance mm-hmm. steps of it. I think it's really cool there's not one main villain. I think you could say Red Grant is the main villain of the movie. I think you yeah. say that same thing about Rosa Klebb, or really, in a strange way, Kronstein and Blofeld. And, Go ahead. And the last point, too, is I think what's really cool about it is it mirrors, it feels like the way a real spy network might operate, and it also mirrors what MI6 sort of is in the movie. You have M, mm-hmm. it's the mm-hmm. overarching guy that gives the, the assignment or, you know, to Bond, who then has to go to the station agent, who's this facilitator, you know, Karen Bay. It's really, really cool. I, make, I think it makes it feel, as much as it's not realistic, it makes it feel kind of realistic for a spy movie. Yeah. I think there's a world where a really bad, where a really, an even campier writer um, would have had Red um, be, after, like, some small success at the, begin, uh, at the beginning, have Red Grant be given um, the number of seven. Yeah, yeah, that's... A, like, like... It, like, like 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 we get the better version of that in this movie, um, where where Red feels uh, in in all respects like a, a great foil and, and a great sort of of uh, like as you said a, a a main villain without having to be a main villain, um, but that's because uh, you're you're right that the the dichotomy that the the connection between Spectre and MI6 is at its sort of best um, mirroring in this movie. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a first Star Wars or first uh, Matrix ending, in, in that like we know that there's still this shadow organization out there, but it's not a cliffhanger. It's a satisfying end to this story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's one thirty a.m. in New York, so we should probably I just, <laughs> let you. Uh, I just have carry on. one one question that I always like to ask. It's my personal favorite. Do you think you'd beat the villain in a fight? And in this instance, I'll let you. I was about I'll to say, you choose uh, you your know villain. Yeah, we did, you we know what? I'll tell you. What, I'll tell you what. We're gonna start. We're gonna. We that is now. We needed to find a way to to end because I think that the two of us, the three of us, sorry, could could 
could talk about this stuff for forever and for always and and i have proof of that and that proof has been the decade of our fucking friendship um (laughs) where where we have somehow never tired of talking about anything um so i think that this is the new we need to set this up this is the new (laughs) ending is that whenever whenever rw uh jumps in and says uh uh do you think you could beat x in a fight that's the ending yes i do um, think could I we all up, are we okay with this i do think i could beat up kronstein <laughs> okay good i knew you were gonna go with kronstein <laughs> you bastard <laughs> and max, uh, you, you guys got red brown right yeah, yeah max i'm gonna i know you're gonna choose rosa Kleb. i'm gonna let you go next i know you're gonna choose her and you're gonna say you have a fighting shot which leaves me with red grant fuck you both here's the thing here's the thing i'm gonna choose rosa Kleb, and i'm gonna say that she in in what we set up, which is that it's it's us in our worlds today, is that I'm gonna set up and that I'm gonna choose her and she's gonna win hands down because I'm looking around my room and I have no <laughs> devices with which to hold her teeny tiny feet down. Well, I don't know. You might be sitting on one. You could. I mean, I'm sitting on one, but this is an office chair, so the spindles are too sort of. Like Bond had the had the beauty of a, a basic sort of like four stand chair. Yeah. She's gonna come in just kicking with her little one legged kick hop shuffle, and and I'm Scrooged. I'm I'm dead. Yeah, you're, if, you're if we were in Hunger Games, I might get Cleb. But if if she just came at me in the grocery store and I wasn't expecting it, I mean, Dunzo. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that leaves me with Red Grant. I don't even think I need to argue about that. I mean, I think we know how that ends in any capacity, anywhere. And it, you could give me maybe five years to train, and I think he'd still kill me and probably faster than he killed Nash in that bathroom. I was, I, I was about to say, I, I bet you that he kills you faster than a minute and 53 seconds. Yeah, I'll, I'll be his new record. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, I think that's from Russia With Love. Uh, thanks to everyone who stuck it out this whole time with us, and uh, we'll see you very soon for Goldfinger. Yeah, uh, James Bond will return in Goldfinger three cool friends will return for Goldfinger Podcast. 